We are in Champions League, man. That was my name. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello and welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Joining me for this episode is the one and only Ivan Sproul. Ivan is a recently retired professional footballer. He's played for Hibs, Bristol City, Ross County, Linfield and then 11 appearances for his country, Northern Ireland, including making his debut in the 1-0 victory over England at Windsor Park in 2005. Had to throw that one in there. Um, Wanted to interview Ivan for two reasons, really. Number one, I grew up with him, played on the same youth teams as him and followed his journey. And secondly, for the type of journey he had. So it really appeals to me and, and the message for modern soccer coach, growth mindset, etc. Uh, we, we seem to think that success is linear. Professional footballers grow up with an enormous amount of talent and automatically get contracts and become successful. Ivan, I know, did grow up with an enormous amount of talent, but it didn't come easy for him. Um, growing up in the same youth team as him, he stood out by a mile. He scored goals for fun and we all thought that he would go and play for the big clubs um, at 12, 13, 14, 15 and he didn't get away, the call didn't come, um, 16, 17 he was still doing it and he still didn't get away and then uh, you're almost conditioned to think in Northern Ireland that that goes then, There, he's just going to have to move on with his life and get on with it and Ivan didn't make his breakthrough, he didn't move to Hibs until he was 23 years old which I, I still find staggering. I, I was surprised at the time that he that he was making the move, playing part-time football in Northern Ireland. But then I'm even I'm even still surprised to this day. So um, I'm just excited to be interviewing him and seeing how he viewed professional football, um, how he kind of is aware or how he interprets his journey, and then when he's moving on to the coaching side, what he takes from that there and how he views coaching, uh, having been in it for different levels part-time full-time etc so this is a good one this is um this i think coaches will get a lot out of this here so enjoy it please 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 give it a like at the end plug it on twitter all appreciated have fun and enjoy sproley thank you for joining me for the modern soccer coach podcast excited to have you on we go back a long way guys so it's a pleasure for me to uh to, to do this for you as i say uh, a lot of our playing career in the early stages were, were done together so I'm uh, looking forward to see what questions you're going to give me here Funny what if, if people watch me and you at 12 at under 12 years <laughs> of age and they had to predict who would have made it as a pro they probably would have chosen yourself so <laughs> no, big, no big shocks but um, yeah I'll, I'll go I'll, I'll give everyone a little bit of an insight to your path just before we start um, but as an Irish league player before Having, having kind of missed the boat where traditionally people would have made the jump at 16, 17, 18 to England. Um, before you moved to Hibs, was your focus just on playing and enjoying your football or did you still have an eye on, a, on full-time football across the water? 
Do you know what? I think at at, at probably the age of twenty three, uh, you, you probably sit back at, at some stage and think to yourself, you maybe maybe it is. You know, the the boat is gone, and uh, you know, truth be told, I just obviously got engaged and to my wife now, and uh, we're just about we had a mortgage just approved back home, and I uh, just to probably just a, about you know, giving up the ghost and, and going across the water. And uh, I was just about to sign for Derry City, actually. And, and it was it was full-time football with Derry City, leaving Institute to go to Derry. Uh, so that was probably as close as I probably thought I was going to get to it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it just was this, just this phone call out of, out of nowhere. Uh, it was lifting steel off a forklift, Laurie, or, or lifting steel off with a forklift. And uh, I was at my work as an engineer, and, and, and someone says, listen, would you... We know you're about to sign for Derry City, and and someone's seen a uh, a DVD of you. Would you like to go over to Hibernian for for a trial for a week? So, of course, you know the people from down around Norway, Gary. You think somebody's pulling your leg? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I say, I, I agreed to it all, and I got home and and, and told my mum at that time I was still living at home. And the next thing, the phone went back again. It was a agent, and I quite you know I grasped quite quickly then that there was a. It was a flight email threat through to me, and, that, and this was happening. So I went across and uh, gave it my best shot, you know, for for a lad that probably thought his dream was over. Um, and I grabbed it with, I grabbed it. You say you grabbed it with both hands. I grabbed it with everything. Mm. Uh, I went across, and 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 I, when I got off the plane, as I say, I held no fear, and I think that was a big thing for me. Uh, I knew that you know all that the 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 knocks I took in my career up till then. Uh, I knew how to make this one count, and and luckily for me that week I did. Mm. Do you think at at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, you put too much pressure on yourself, and then maybe you relaxed a bit? Do you, was that anything to do with it? Uh to be honest, we I think I think from down around Norway, now I think football's evolved a lot. Obviously, uh, your dad was heavily involved in, in a lot of my youth career, uh, and as I say, you know, round my way. At youth football, probably you know I, I was quite successful, and and as I say, youth football wise, we we won most mostly everything. Uh, but I still believe that you know Northern Ireland thing uh, down round our way. I don't think we get looked at as much uh, down round you know the rural communities, uh, and I I think that 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 played against against people, not just myself, but all all people like me, uh, that there wasn't the exposure of of as many scouts or. Uh, now you've got the club NI for Northern Ireland. You've got a lot more Northern Ireland avenues for youth football. And that so um, I always believed that I, I was good enough when I was younger, but it just never happened. Uh, and I'm a great believer, and everybody's different, but I'm a great believer that it'll happen for you whenever it has to happen. Mm. Uh, and maybe I could have went across the water at maybe sixteen, seventeen, uh, and it might have been right time for me. I think I went across the water at 23 and was very, very hungry. Uh, and I took all the knocks and all the disappointments, uh, I suppose, of not making it. And that burned inside me for a long time. Uh, and I think that's a hunger that you can't put inside somebody. I think that has to, you have to go through all the, you have to go through all the pain uh, then to realise you, you can use it. You can use that pain in a, in a useful way. And I think I'd done that. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think the career that I had, was probably born out of a lot of. When you watch me play, you know people used to watch me play in Sky Sports or whatever, and they used to say to me, you know, you nearly think you're gonna bust out of your skin because you. I was trying so hard, but 
but that all came from I never wanted to waste a moment out when I was a professional then because I knew what it was like not to be a professional uh, and it burned inside me every day as a youngster and up until I got that chance at, 20, at 23 to do that. I think I know what your answer is going to be for this. So whenever you're, you, because of what you just said, whenever you went over to Hibs, you, you obviously leapfrog certain academy players who spend six or eight years at a club who are supposed to make the jump into the first team. You go through them right away without having that background that they have. So what what does what advantage do you have as a lower league footballer rather than that there youth player? I, I believe, you know, certainly that there was aspects of my game that if I had been an academy player, things could have been sharpened. And, you know, you do think maybe you might have been a better player. But for me, Gary, it's about... A lot of my a lot of players are different. You got a lot of technical players. You got you got fast players. You know now you, you try and modernize it and you, and you can get the complete player. But you know yourself when people are looking for squads, they're looking for certain types of characters. I see academy football and I've been in around Bristol Cities and I've been back in around Hubs's and Ross Counties and and I've seen a lot of academy players and obviously when I was at, at Hubs as well, uh, it probably was that the young academy players that were were vying for for slots maybe maybe one or two making the bench or whatever but I do think sometimes and, and, I, and I hope the culture is changing and, and I know a, a few of my ex-players that are now you know Jimmy McAllister's assistant manager at Bristol City uh, you know Stuart Kettlewell's now just took over the Ross County job and they would tell you themselves that yeah. some of these some of these academy kids can go soft not soft on you but they can get a wee bit too much too soon and oh. uh, and I never had that, and I think that's where I leapfrog the rest of them. That that hunger to make it, uh, and that hunger of I suppose coming from being an engineer and going to work every day and, and only training two nights a week. Uh, you just don't want to every every training session, every everything. You, you don't want to waste an, a single moment on the training pitch or a si- single moment in the gym. Mm. And I think that that's what really really shot me past everybody else was a was a real hunger and desire. So that you, you mentioned that fire there, and you're a you're a very very social person, life of the party. Um, did did you, you know, did did the comfort the comfort of those professionals that weren't as motivated as you did that ever become a point of confrontation or create problems with you within teams? I, I, I never did. You know, don't get me wrong. When you when you first, I remember the first signing for for Hubs, and I was in a you know I was in a changing room with Scott Brown, Kevin Thompson. Gary Caldwell, Ian Murray, you know, Gary O'Connor, Derek Red. I was in a change room full of big, big names and, you know, the the cream of Scotland's young talent at that time. Uh, and when I went in, don't get me wrong, you know, a football environment is a, is a competitive environment and, and when a new lad comes and, and, and lands upon the scene, you know, they don't make things too easy for you either. <laughs> you know, I can, I can remember one of my first few early training sessions and, I think we were playing seven aside or whatever it was, and and, and Kevin Thompson and, and and Scott Brown were kicking the absolute life out of me. Uh, so of course me being me from the back end of nowhere, I just decided to just square up the both of them and have a square go at the two of them. So, and I can remember Tony Mowbray from that day. You know what I mean? He never, he never took, he never tried to take that out of me. Uh, he let me be what I was, and don't get me wrong, it just you have to fight your corner. You have to know that you belong there you have to give everything you've got these boys are pushing so hard to um, uh, take their careers on but the thing about a professional footballer 
for me, people will always say to me, oh, what was your highlight? Uh, was it playing in the playoff final? Was it the Scottish Cup final, the League Cup final? Was it getting your first cap? I'm I'm sitting in uh, a room now that my wife has done for me with all my shirts and caps and all the rest, you know, great moments and pictures and stuff. And it was the journey. The journey was my greatest thing. We've been able to stay away from 10 years. And whenever I ended my career at Ross County, I walked out with eight months to go just because, purely because I wanted to bring three wee boys back home and start building their life. You know, I felt as if I took the best out of my career and felt as if that, you know, the most important thing to me at that moment in time was my three kids. Mm. Uh, so, so being a professional footballer for the length of time that I was and, and ending my career on my own terms was, was obviously, again, my biggest achievement, but that's something you can only do whenever desire burns inside you. That's it, that's it. Let me ask you this then, why did Scott Brown make it to the level he has? Scott now is a very close friend of mine now, and again, Scott, whenever, again, when I, I mention about me and Scott maybe having a wee scuffle training or, or the likes of Kevin Thompson and why he went on to play for Rangers in a, you know, a UEFA Cup final and Scott Brown played for Celtic for ten and a half years and, and, and you know, won X amount of titles, you know, have people like Steven Gerrard, big players, t- talk about him and, and Sky Sports or BBC or whatever it is. It's because he's a winner. He's a natural born winner. Uh, the nicest lad. You'll have, his, his personality off the pitch is nothing like it is on the pitch. Mm. Uh, Scott wants to win anything he does. Uh, and, you know, for me, he, he's, he's obviously a box to box midfielder. But I would never, you know, I've seen other different kinds of athletes as footballers. Uh, and again, I, I, would, I would describe Scott on a, on a higher scale than myself. But, Scott probably had that same kind of passion and hunger and, and never wanted to lose at anything. Uh, and the reason why I think he's made it as long as he has and had as great a career as he has is because cause he wanted it, because he's got an inner desire to do it every single day and not just go out and, as I say, go through the motions. Uh, you, know, you only have to watch that tackle that was put on him a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, that's the same Scott Brown whenever I landed in Edinburgh all those years ago. When we used to kick lumps out of one hour. Mm. Uh, and believe you me, we had a few fi- you know fiery characters in our team at that time. But you know, he's just a, a great competitor, a great professional, and you know when you when you carry that inner love for football and, and love for competing, and I think that's a big one: love for competing, for beating, for beating that, for beating the man up against you in training. Never mind beating the man up against him in a Champions League game. You know, it didn't matter to Scott. Uh, he wanted it every day, and and he still does. And as I say, it was only a couple of months ago. My only, the only club that I, that I'm involved with now, you know, they get flooded, and I, I rung around all my football friends, and you know, Scott sent his his uh, invincible shirt back over to me, uh, you know, to raffle so we could raise money for the club. And I think it was just a measure of the man that only had to ring him once. And he's a busy man, obviously, with his commitments for Celtic Scotland and his own family. But he takes times out out for his friends and. And I class myself, you know, as a friend, that you know, a football friend. But uh, he's a great, 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 great guy. Brilliant. When you going into full time football, then at Hibs, what was the biggest change off the field? Was it diet, lifestyle, the media? What what knocked you out of your comfort zone the most? Well, it's it probably at the start it was physical, uh, because obviously I was an engineer and you only train two nights a week in the Irish league, and you're going over there and you probably you're working with proper athletes who have fitness coaches and uh 
you know, as you mentioned, the diet and, and everything, you know, you've got to be spot on because the, the one thing about being a professional footballer, your body's your temple then, you've got to look after it. And, and I suppose I, at the start, uh, I was about weak, you know, when I needed to build my body up. And, and when I first went across, there was times I got frustrated because I thought I should be further ahead of my career than I was. But I was very, very lucky that, that the first man that got the hold of me was Tony Mowbray. And, you know, Tony always said to me, you know, you, you have to take baby steps. You know, I, I had natural pace that I suppose even when I went to Hubs, I realised quite quickly, you know, I was the fastest one there, which probably throughout my whole career I've always had that. But I, I needed to realise then that, you know, you just can't be quick. You need to make yourself a wee bit more stronger to last at that level. You know, it was a different tempo. You were up against stronger athletes. Uh, so that was a challenge, but it was one that I relished and I worked hard at. As I say, the lifestyle thing, I was quite lucky because <clears throat> my wife, at the, there, my fiancé at the time, we were engaged and it was only a couple of weeks till she had moved over. Uh, and I think without her, probably I probably could have been home after six months because mm. <laughs> at least I had her to come home to every day. Uh, and me and her just, you know, we decided we what we, you know, we would give us a go and and uh, try and build a life for ourselves. And you know, I owe a lot of my career to my wife, uh, and 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 she really did. She never let me really. I suppose you would you would say a lot of these players go away and hit the bright lights or start gambling or drinking or whatever. She was the one that when I when I went away, it was just three and three and three and and as I say, we'd family popped over in Cena's and and stuff like that, but. Uh, I was never swayed towards, I suppose, the, the bright lights, Edinburgh, whatever. I just wanted to keep my head down and play football and, and make a name for myself. Uh, so there was a lot, there's a lot of pitfalls for you. Uh, the media, I suppose, was, was one of those things that you, you never, you know, at the start. I can remember the first time I scored against Celtic and you go then to fill your car with petrol and you, you're not probably, you're used to having the local papers around here, but you're thinking, well, that's the Sun newspaper, that's the Daily Mirror, and you're plastered everywhere. And then, you know, you've a lot of you get sent off or whatever, and you've just got to learn to deal with it. You get good press, you get bad press. Uh, but the one thing about me throughout my whole career, you have to take criticism, but I never read too much into the papers because it was never the papers that were going to make you or break you. It was always going to be your manager or your coaches. Mm. Well, do you think it's with that level of maturity? Um, it's obviously it helps. It helped you, but sometimes being ingrained in a certain way of life when you're in your mid twenties, it's hard to up, you know, uplift and go somewhere else. So, do you think it's harder going away in mid twenties than it is for a younger, you know, a homesick fifteen, sixteen year old? Well, I always describe myself as crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Whenever I landed in Edinburgh, so that, as I say, I've, I've obviously been out of the country in Northern Ireland and one thing in Ireland holidays and with, with my friends and that. But you know, to move away and I can I can remember at Easter Road and, and Tony Mowbray took me over and put me into a flat, and the flat that he put me in was a beautiful flat, but there was no TV in it. And you know, I was coming finishing my training back into the club, got a, a TV in that and. But that's not what it's about. Yes, it is hard because at that time I didn't have my fiance, I didn't have my brothers and sisters, and it was the first time I loved away from home. So that was a challenge. But for me, if I wanted a prof- if I wanted to be a professional footballer, and you know yourself, Gary, from round our way, you've seen a lot of young lads go away at sixteen, seventeen, <coughs> and they haven't just quite cracked it. Uh, and I always had this burning ambition, and I, and I, it's it's not arrogance out of me. It's not arrogance at all. I always think it's. 
you always want to be the best version of you you can be. So I thought I've been given this, I've been given this chance to, you know, go and do well for my own area, Castle Dare, Goma, whatever, and really, really mark a name for my family. Really, you know, unfortunately for me, and again, it's at circumstances you knew about Gary growing up. I lost my brother and I lost my father, and then they they were two men in my life that that a great football men. And really wanted me to do well. And I always knew my dad always born done sign up that he would he would have loved to have seen one of his you know his sons really crack on and make it. And obviously me, me big brother Keith was 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 tragically took at eighteen. He was playing with my town, he won the Budweiser Cup and and I and I always had them burdens on me, uh, to do well for my family and, and, and just to be the try and be the best I can be from around this area. Uh and it was all those things that burned inside me when I was away that made me never give up. Mm. Uh, and made me always want to get to the Scottish Cup final, to get to the League Cup final, to sign for Bristol City, to play for Northern Ireland. There was so much stuff inside me that drove me. Um, and until this day, I still use things like that as motivation. But certainly, you know, they were big factors. Mm. In the in your Wikipedia page, not that I do my uh, research on Wikipedia for these, I do a little bit more, <laughs> but uh, I did. I wanted to see how many uh, who you played against um, for your Northern Ireland matches. But anyway, in your Wikipedia page, his performances after you scored that hat trick for Hibs caused Sproul to be linked with a one million pound move to Ukrainian club. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. April. Uh, how close were you to moving to Ukraine? Very close. Were you? <laughs> Very close, as I say. You know, uh, for people listening and you know to listen now, uh, they'll think I probably was off my head when I turned that move down. But <laughs> I can remember Tony Mobley calling me. I, we played. Then uh, we I played against a, a few games. Listen before that European tie, and I was probably catching the eye of a lot of people. Uh, my performances were good, and uh, I can remember whenever the Russian side landed over, like they were a big money side, and one thing and another. And, and it was on the sun, you, you're on about the media. I, again, I went to the shops one day for probably bread and milk and lifted this paper, lifted the sun and it was, they were more like that this Russian side weren't feared of any of our starting players. They were more feared of me coming off the bench. So obviously caught interest from that. And the next thing we played the home league and I come off the bench and I think, to be honest, for 40, for I think it was 40 minutes or 35 minutes, I absolutely tore them the butts in the second half and, uh, it just I just kept going from that, and then I think of the away leg. Then we went and played them away, and they they beat us away. But uh, again, I don't know a great game out there. Uh, and then the next thing, Tony Mowbray was called to his office, and you only get called to the manager's office if you're either in trouble. <laughs> He's letting you go. You're getting a contract, so I don't know which one it was. And he called me down. He basically just spelled it out that they put this again crazy button that. Obviously, I was only bought for £5,000 and maybe a bag of balls from Institute. So I think I've seen it as a, a quick turnover. <laughs> Shut me out and get a million pounds for me. But, you know, he, he said to me, you know, Tony Tony knew my circumstances and uh, he was he was a kind of manager that he liked to knew where he come from. And he, you know, he took a bit of interest in, you know, your family and things they got. And I suppose he knew himself that only played Irish League football. And, uh, you know, he knew probably the wage structure at... I hadn't had a great career because I'd just arrived in Edinburgh and all the rest. And I can remember, you know, he said to me, he said, this could set you for life, this move. Uh, you know, and, and then the, the money they were chatting about was, you know, at that time, you know, you're chatting 10, 10 years ago or around that, you know, it was 
over ten thousand pound anyway sterling wages wise. Uh and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, from being an engineer and, and, and just getting a normal nine to five job back here, I couldn't believe you know, you, you can't believe this stuff that that's gonna happen you. Mm-hmm. And I can I can remember going back to my to my wife and we had just about settled, as I said, I called myself Crocodile D earlier on, Crocodile Dundee. So <laughs> I said to her, I said, does this club now want to see me in there from Russia? And she looked at me as if I had four heads. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, but again, and it was, it was, it was a bit crazy. And I, I went back to, to Tony Mowbray and uh, I remember ringing my mum. Uh, that's who the one. I, I remember Janet would never, Janet would have came. I mean, she went to Russia, but I, went, I remember ringing my mum and saying to my mum, listen, mum, this club's now put on a, a million pound bid and they've offered me this crazy amount of money every week. And my mum says to me, listen, son, yeah, it's completely up to yourself. She says, money never made you and it never will make you. Mm. And to me, that was true from, from me being a person. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like to see everybody doing well and getting loads of money and you know and the career if they deserve it. But I had it's just I was just starting to make myself you know a good wee career for myself at Hubs and that I want to leave what I was enjoying now and go out to Russia and you know take a my fiance out there and uh, at that time as you say it probably was it was too big of a step for me at that time uh, more so I don't think for the football reasons I think more just for for me as a person. Uh, and I turned it down, and again, I could have been sitting today, <laughs> I could have been swimming in pound coins today, but <laughs> nah, <laughs> but it just, it wasn't for me, and people always say to me, you know, you were crazy turning that down, and you were this, and you were that, listen, I went on to have 101 magic memories mm. at Hubs, Bristol City, Ross County, Northern Ireland, and I might never have got them if I'd have went to Russia, you never know, so uh, what you don't have, you don't miss, That's true. Uh, and as I say, uh, if you know myself, Gary, you know yourself, Gary, my family background, you know, my sisters and my brothers, I, I've got everything with my family, I've got everything now with my three boys and my wife, so no, nah, whatever I've got now, I'm, I'm happy with. Brilliant. Um, moving on to then the Northern Ireland setup, you, you went in at a time when it's a little bit different than what it is right now, it was before Michael O'Neill turned it around, um, uh-huh. even though you said the big result against England when you got in, what what type of environment was it? Well, to be honest with you, you know, I know, you know, looking back now, Northern Ireland have definitely swung it round now. And uh, again, I'm, I still keep in touch with, you know, Stephen Davis and Gareth McCauley. They were all in the squad when I started out. And the one thing about it, you know, I can remember at the time that, that David went through the real phase of scoring goals. Uh, Keith Gillespie and that was playing at that time. And we had Damien Johnson, Steve Davis, Chris Baird, Gareth McCauley, Aaron Hughes. You know, we had a good side as well. And I think, you know, uh, we just missed out on the, the you know the European qualifying group. Uh, Spain beat us in the last game, but we, we were close. Uh, and the one thing that I I think with well, that squad, we never got uh, you know we never qualified, but we we you know we did finish third or I think it was third that time. Uh, and we had some big games. You know we did have the England games. We did have the Spain game where we beat, beat Spain. You know we did beat Sweden. Uh, we didn't, I suppose, get the rubble of green and, and get the. I'm not saying lesser countries because you know national football now there doesn't seem to be too many lesser countries now. But it was a great experience. But I, I do think that back then, you know, I think football's evolved so much in this last fifteen years. Mm. And I think to when I went into the Northern Ireland setup, you know, it is all now. Speaking to Steve Davis a while ago, and and Steve says to me, you know, I, I was up the hotel to meet him and Gareth, and they were, you know credit to their careers 
they met me at the hotel and uh, they were just saying it's the professionalism now, you know, the, the way they recover from games, the way they fly to games, you know, the way their their food sorted out, yeah, you know, they're, yeah. you know, obviously even tracing how much work they've done, you know, getting the information from their clubs before they come away, I suppose, to, to how much ground they've covered that week. You know, we would have been maybe coming away from our clubs and even, you know, the GPR, you know, the, the GPS systems for, for tracking players' movements now, all them small, small <coughs> details that you look at make a big difference now. Uh, and, you know, it's a credit to what the Northern Ireland boys are achieving now and to Tom Aiken will need to, to bring in all those modern changes into to our setup now. And they're, they're certainly reaping the rewards because, you know, they're, they've become a structured unit. Uh, they're hard to break down. But I believe... The professionalism was the only difference between the squad that we had to the squad that they've got today. And that's me being very honest because we had Keith Gillespie on the form of his life at that time, uh, which probably was a bit of detriment to me because he was out the right wing and that's where I was vying to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed every single trip and every, you know, every single minute uh, getting on for Northern Ireland. Listen, the night that I come on from a debut against England and replaced Healy for, for nine minutes or whatever it was. Again, I always go back. I keep going back to it, but from you know yourself from where I'm from where I have quick came from. Uh and the leaps and the, the dedication and the commitment that I had to get to get there to my first international cap because I always felt as if an aggrievement because I never got my junior like you would say your schoolboy caps. Because I do I do feel as if this part of the country was forgot about back then. Uh, and for me to stand there, you know, as someone that, you know, junior football, I, I probably done it for more junior football than anything. Uh, and, the, and it wasn't a, a structured path that had to go through all the academies. And I was there in merit and I come on, played for my country. And then after that, as I say, I had the, the games against Spain and the games against Sweden. You know, you're playing against Anayesta, you're playing against Ibrahimovic, Portugal, you're playing against Ronaldo, they're they're magic they're magic moments and and to play for your country definitely certainly has to be you know it's a big big highlight in any player's career. Mm. Laurie Sanchez, how was he? Laurie was Laurie was very very good with me. Laurie was uh, a manager that I had a lot of time for. Uh, no nonsense. Uh, knew what he wanted. Very passionate manager. Was very passionate about. But Northern Ireland at that time, uh, and again, I think he got the best out of the group of players that he had at that time. Uh, for it was, you know, it wasn't easy. He hadn't the biggest group of players to work with, uh, and you know, every time that I went away, and you, you probably, if you didn't get the start in the game, and you were on the bench. You know, you were made, you know, aware of the reasons why. Uh, you know, it's it's you're competing at the top top level. Then you can you know you're competing with you know the best of your country. Then, uh, and as I say, I was probably a bit unfortunate that that Keith had went through that real richer run, a good form at, at that time, and I was probably his stand on at that time. But uh, Laurie was very very good. Okay. Let's move on to the coaching side now. Which manager made made because we're all impacted by who we played for or what we grew up at. Which which coach or manager had the most impact on you? I've played under a few good ones. Like it's you know you start with Tony Mowbray and you move on to John Collins, 
And you go from John Collins down to Gary Johnson, uh, you know, Steve Coppel, uh, you know, and then on, you know, even when I went out and loan, you know, you go out and loan, Paul Lance was there, and then I went back up to Scotland. Uh, you know, it's Colin Calderwood, and then after Colin Calderwood, it was Pat Fenlon, wow. after Ross County, Derek Adams. So, as I say, I've, I've had my share of managers, and a lot of them managers that I've named have either been very good managers for one reason or, or very good players. But for me, the best manager for me, I think, was probably Tony Mowbray. And it's simply because I always say Tony Mowbray polished the rough diamond because he's seen the natural, I suppose, athleticism, pace, determination, hunger, desire, you know, fight. He channeled it. I didn't know how to channel it, but he did. Uh, and there was the amount of times that I, I thought that he didn't know how to channel me or he didn't know how to coach me. Really and truly, a lot of my career was 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 uh, was guided by him, uh, and there was just coaching points and things that he done with me. Uh, there was times I was struggling in my game, and he would have pulled me to one side and just explain me things to me. Uh, and then whenever you go out onto the park, you know, and play the next game or the next two or three games, and you and you do the things that he's trying to tell you, you realise then you've got a really really smart man in your hands then, and and, and he certainly was that. John Collins is an interesting one, Sproley. Why, why did? Because I've always viewed, I've never worked with him, or I've never seen him, never met him. But I've always thought he was, from his background and going to France and the way he conducted himself, I always thought he was brilliant, brilliant football mind, committed to the whole fitness and all the physical side of it. Why? Why do you think he is, in your opinion, not made a, a massive impact on a coaching level? Uh again, it's 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 it's. It's tough, difficult, Gary, to explain that. Like, like he, he had me, Tony Mowbray left, and John took the job, and then we went and won the. Something looking at it here now, won the League Cup, and uh, you know what a day that was. You know, fifty thousand Hubs fans at Hamden, absolutely rocking, and gave me one of the best days of my life. Uh, you know, John for me and my, I, I ended up leaving to go to Bristol City. Listen, I I, I turned down the move to April. Uh, Bristol City about half a million for me to go down to the championship the championship at that time was a big big league uh, they offered me a three year deal and, and I couldn't turn it down but I, I was leaving a club at Hubs where listen you know I was probably idolised and, and and everything was great for me you know everything I touched at Hubs went to gold at that time and it was a big decision to leave them and, and John was in charge at that time John, for me, I don't know why. Maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe it's his. You know, for me, I think maybe it was his man management. Maybe it was his man management. Certain managers are good at it. Certain players aren't. Listen, football. You, you read so much in the press. You're a you know coach yourself. You've been involved in changes and whatever. You can be as good a coach as you want to be, and you can have all the greatest ideas in the world, and you can put out the best training session. You can put out. Best crossing and finishing drill, the best offensive drill. You can even think of the best tactical shape to play your team the full season long. But if you haven't got a manager that when he puts his arm around you and he speaks to you and you really appreciate what he's saying or you feel he's speaking to you in the right manner and, the, and, and for the right reasons, it doesn't really matter how good of a career you've got or what you've done or whatever. I do believe that a really, really good manager has to be a real good man manager. Uh, and there'll be other players, there'll be other players, and, and and a lot bigger, 
football names in the world than me that'll come around and say, you know, the old school manager, when you think years and years and years ago, probably managers didn't speak to players. Might have named the team, that was it, and whatever. But I think now the way football's evolved, and, and I'm even going back to the 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you did, you do need a certain aspect of that. You know, different people coming from different backgrounds, knowing a wee bit about your people. As I say, when you're in a team environment, these people become your family. Uh, and I think for John, John maybe had a career that he was at the very, very, you mentioned it yourself, the top, top level. Even when he trained with us, even as a, as a manager, he, he was still in great shape. Um, his standards were probably ceiling high. Uh, and sometimes you, you want that for all the players that you're working with. But you're maybe not going to get that because the players maybe aren't the standard that you've came from. And maybe I think that was maybe one of John Stubborn blocks. Listen, again, I, I thank him for, for winning the League Cup for me. I thank him for, you know, he, he definitely left a mark on me about the professionalism, uh, you know, looking after my body and stuff like that. But it just takes a bit more uh, for a manager, I think, to make it to them top levels. And I think that the man managing and how you deal with individual players is a big thing. Mm. Now you've moved on to the coaching side at, at Ardstraw. What do you love most about it? Do you know what, Gary? It was one of those ones. Uh, I'd kind of come back to the Irish League and it never worked out for two operations in the three years I was back at Lanfield. And after the first one with my knee, I knew then that you know it was time to kind of knock it in the head. And I'd went and done my B licence in Belfast in the first part of May and, and, and enjoyed it. And, and, and listen, went up, the, up and, and done my coaching badges along with... A lot of ex-players, Teddy Shannon was there, Tom Huddleston, and you think as you're on this elite group of players that it's going to be easy for you. And I went in pretty basically in a week and realised, no, <laughs> it's just not as simple as it looks. Uh, and when you're sitting beside Teddy Shannon and you're doing striker movement, <laughs> and even and even he's struggling with it, you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> I could be a baller here. But I love it. You know, I absolutely love learning. I love... Uh, you know, seeing you know how different things work, mm. and I do believe that no, you can't clone. You know, because I've had the playing career I've had, uh, I probably coach a lot like I uh, like I played, and try and a lot of my influences from ex managers they do come out in me. Uh, but coaching's definitely something that you learn every day. You learn every single day. And again, mentioning that thing, just because you've had a playing career, and because I've played it with my country, because I've played at the Scottish Premiership or the Championship or wherever you like to call it, not going to make you a good manager. Full stop. It's not. You're going to. Yes, you've got a good opinion on it. You've got a good insight yet. You've seen. You know. You've been exposed to so much elite stuff and all the rest. But it's how you can get it across, mm. uh, and it's how you can get players to react to, and that's the big thing. I decided, I took the decision myself, you know, I took a step out, I could have went on and maybe worked at a higher level uh, within the Irish League and went down that road and started maybe a bit higher up, but I wanted to start at the at the lo a lower level and I took over this wee club called Art Straw, who are absolutely fantastic, they have their own, you know, two grass pitches, floodlit pitches, uh, well over 100 kids in their academy and the club basically gave me the free run of the club. Uh, you know, restructure it and do things my way. Uh, the three senior teams and, you know, try and impose a, a different culture on the amateur football to see if it could, you know, if, if you could aspire them. 
Uh, I've got a lot of youngsters at 16, 17 actually playing in the first team now and getting to speak to them and work with them throughout the year and now a lot of them are starting on my team and, and you know, I actually sent one of them over to Ross County for a week uh, and I've taken great pleasure out of that and and even older players, like, you know, these boys are probably now, their, their careers are hard, they're, they're not maybe going to go to the older ones I'm chatting about today which league but I've got young lads in the early 20s uh, that have maybe not made it into the Irish League yet, but I think they're good enough. But it's not their football ability that's letting them down. It's maybe their mindset. Mm. It's maybe their physical attributes. It's maybe their you know their technical awareness. And these are things that the, at that level that if I can give them, maybe they can go and as I say, go and you know make a career for themselves out of that. And and, and that's where at the minute for 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 this season. Uh, we've took big steps and I'm really, really, really pleased the way it's going. Uh, you've got one of our modern soccer coach mentee coaches, Chris Colhoun, there as well. Yeah, as I say, we've we've got lots of you know, lots of lots of good coaches and, and even even for for young coaches that are on the club, you know, and trying to help them and uh, you know, it's uh you you get exposure to so many different areas at at junior junior level. Uh I mean you're working at and that level you've you've got the you're going down to do things like set out the cones. You know, mm. I, I'm a very much a hands-on manager coach. Uh, I like to be there. I like to I like to take the bumps even home with me and wash them. You know, I'm kept man, tea lady, I'm everything. <laughs> but I think that that's the way for me as as a person. That's the way that you go, and that's the way that uh, I think you learn more. Uh, and because I have the final say on it, uh, whatever goes wrong is my fault, and and I enjoy that and I like that. How would you? Have managed Ivan Sproul? I couldn't have. <laughs> I sold him. <laughs> He'd been gone after two weeks. Uh, no, as you say, listen, for every manager, I think every manager that I've mentioned there, every one of them will tell you that I fell out with them at some stage. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've been in the office getting my ear chewed. I've been left out of teams. I've been... You know, I've been listen. I've a I've a dust up. I'll not mention managers' names, but I've a dust ups in changing rooms. Uh, it's been it's been a colourful career, but the one thing that I can say, uh, you know, about it all is every manager has left some kind of mark on me, and I would like to think that I've left some kind of mark on, on every manager, mm. <laughs> literally. <laughs> but no, the the for all for all those managers, for all those managers that work with me, you know. Everyone now, I can lift the phone and ring, and that's the thing that you can. If you can do that, you know, you know that you've you've obviously made a mark. Like Tony Mowbray sent me over a Blackburn shirt. As I say, Derek Adams still contacts me about players over here. Uh, Gary Johnson's son now leaves at Bristol City. It's one of those things that you have to respect all your managers. Uh, and I've seen all different kinds of characters. The one thing I can say about my career, I give 110% to any manager that I ever had. Definitely wasn't the easiest player to handle. Uh-huh. But the one thing that I will say, I never, I never done nothing but give me all. Uh-huh. Um, last, last two questions for you. Saw so your uh, little man on Instagram the other day with a Spurs kit on out in the farm. Uh-huh. You've mentioned the word in the past half hour, hunger and desire, probably the, the most amount of times. How do you shape your your children's experience of football. How would you like to shape it? Uh, 
I'm not. I'll be honest with you, Gary. I'm not one of those parents that go and you and you, uh, you you see so much yet about it at the moment where parents are very pushy and whatever. Listen, Sam, Alfie, and Joey. I've got three young kids, and I hope someday they go and they and obviously they make themselves whatever they want to be. If Sam wants to be a footballer, he he can be it. It has to come from within. Mm. I think it comes within the kid. Uh, I don't think you can put it there. I think hunger and desire comes through maybe your pathway of life. Uh, sometimes I think, you know, the knocks you take in life as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, my life was shaped with, I suppose, disappointments and stuff on, on a personal level with, with just things that went through through me. Sam and Alfie and Joey will be the same. They're going to have to take knocks uh, and they're going to have to they have to taste defeat. Uh, funny tonight I was playing my wee boy on, he was in his way and he and he was beating his Aussie brother, uh, and he was shouting and he was he was he was all happy about it because he was finishing first all the time. So I went on the night to beat him so he could finish second. <laughs> so you have to let them taste the feet and then they have to make their own mind up. Then we are they want to push themselves on. Uh, yeah. you, you you have to. You, I don't, I don't. The question that you've asked me I think is a difficult one because I do think it lies within. Mm. It can't be put there by a parent. Uh, it can't be. It can certainly at a, at a, at a, at an age you can try and put it under a kid, but you know yourself the turnover of kids that come out of academies that get let go. I believe the ones that let go, and and there will be a small percentage too that get let go and they'll go somewhere else and make it. Certainly, there's always other avenues, but you have to have that hunger, desire to want to train, to want to be the best, to never give up. To, to make it to them levels of, of being a professional. Mm. How many of uh, how many of your boys have the pace? Ah, as I say, Sam, the Sam, yeah. the eldest one there. Sam, the eldest one, and the, and the small, small one that we can't get him out of the sports kit. He goes to the farm and everywhere on it. <laughs> uh, they, they, everybody calls him Money Ivan for he's just like yeah. a flash when he goes by you. But again, three, three, three great kids, and they're no matter what achievements I've got in the football career or. Or whatever, they they'll always be me. They'll always be me. My proud, my proudest moments, and uh, well, whether they're footballers or whether they're farmers or whatever they are, uh, their dad will always be proud of them. Brilliant. All right, last two best player played with. Best player played with probably not an easy one. Not an easy one. Nah, a lot of different different kinds of players. You've got skillful players like Lee Trundle. You've got great finishers like. Derek Reardon and Nicky Maynard. Obviously, you've got competitors like Kevin Thompson, and uh, you know what? It, it probably even Northern Ireland played with Steve Davis. You know what a player Steve was. David Haley's goal and scoring exploits, but it has to be it has to be Scott Brown just for his career that he's had, and for the impact he had on my career at the early early beginnings. Uh, I don't think anybody can argue for what he's went and done in the game. So definitely Scott Brown. And best player played against? Uh, best player played against? Well, put it like this here. I played against Spain <laughs> away for Northern Ireland. And I thought I turned up to the wrong place. So I definitely <laughs> didn't belong in the park that night. <laughs> So let's just put down the Spain starting eleven. Right, but give me give, the, give me three or four of them. Puyol, well, Iniesta, Xavi, Annie, 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 Iniesta was playing that night. Xavi was playing that night, and you the wee lad at, at uh, Man City now, Silva, 
I think he looked at me and he thought I was lost in the park that <laughs> night too, myself. Uh, here, what a way to finish it. Sproley, you're a legend. Um, I really appreciate your, your time and insight here. And you've even you've even extended bedtime for the boys there. So uh-huh. I, I appreciate you doing it. But um, I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. We'll get you no on again problem. sometime. No problem. Have Anytime. Bad. Cheers, Sproley. Take care. Bye. All right, appreciate it. Thanks so much to Ivan for joining us for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, obviously, I have a soft spot for him because having grown up and played with him and and kept in reasonable touch with him, just following his his pathway. I think the the message he sends. I, I didn't view Ivan as such a deep thinker. I didn't view him as as interpreting his journey that way. Um, so for me, it was refreshing to hear that, you know, the the desire and drive and and again the the self belief that he had at that age. Again, just looking away from watching people's journey and watching people become successful. Again, we're almost conditioned to think that they get it not easily, but they don't doubt themselves. Um, they never question their own ability. They 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 aren't, you know, they don't get the level of criticism that maybe we get and. Sometimes I think we're wrong in that there. Sometimes the people who are successful get more criticism and have more tests of self-belief and, and, and resilience. And Ivan just, I just, I was so inspired by two things really. I was inspired by his journey and inspired by how he views it, how he views the setbacks and how that catapulted him to to kind of motivation and all that good stuff. But the other piece I was really inspired by was the the family piece and how he felt that he was representing his family on the front side uh, to go to Eng- or to go to England and Scotland and you know to to stick it out. And then on the other side, then now as a dad, how he views how he views his family and coming back home and. Um, I follow Ivan on on social media and 90% of the stuff he posts is about his sons uh, who are big football fans and he doesn't come across as the, the football dad at all. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought that was brilliant. Just a nice little change from coaching this, coaching that to like, you know, someone who's on his own path and someone who's made his own path a different way and not afraid to be different, not afraid to, to say who he is and and to be who he is and be his own man. And I think there's there's a lot of lessons in that for coaches and people, uh, not just involved in sports. So hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you, if you wouldn't mind giving it a plug, got some good ones coming up. So thanks for listening as always, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.